Hi there, I'm Dan Hilton, frontman for indie rock band, a southern resident killer whales. And I'm Josh Dye, the president and founder of the Convene Training and Resilience Community. Welcome to Timberwolves Tip to Tap, the only podcast in the world featuring the world-class Minnesota and sometimes outside of Minnesota craft beer scene and the now in playoff contention six seed as of right now Minnesota Timberwolves you missed my gag head of the class instead of stay after class head of the class Mm. (laughs) Minnesota Timberwolves Josh world class craft beer scene of the Twin Cities Minnesota and sometimes outside of Minnesota and the head of the class Minnesota Timberwolves. Head of what class, though, Dan? <laughs> head of the uh, head of the world class. Head of the head of the uh, playoff also ran class, or the head of the lower tier playoff class, I suppose. Hmm. Ooh, can't wait to talk about it. Um, what are we think? I mean, what are we drinking, Josh? Well, Dan, uh, what have you been drinking? I want you to go first. I'm okay. Like, you've been what? drinking today. Uh, what are you drinking right now? What have you been drinking lately? Uh, so often our podcast seems to be an ongoing commercial for Liquor Boy in St. Louis Park, but there's always a great deal to be had. And so I happened to pick up a four-pack of Inbounds Raspberry Blonde Ale, the Raspberry Jam Bam. Four tall boys for three dollars and ninety nine cents. Come on, <laughs> just insane. So one of those things where it's not really even the season where I would have sought something like that out, but I can't pass it up. It's the thing that you might sample in their tap room and you know pay more for a single beer. And here I get to to drink four of them, and it's like all their beers. It's just super super good, kind of refreshing, and it is a. Um, and I would say it's kind of it's a it's a little on the tart side but also very refreshing. And it's the sort of beer I would think of as being more of a summer type beer, but it's a positively balmy 40 something and sunny here, 40 Fahrenheit and something here in uh, Minnesota, which is crazy for November 30. Um, So I've been drinking that as well as a uh, 12 pack of Surly. It's a 12 pack of various types of IPAs, anything from the Furious to a tart IPA um, and a couple limited releases they have that's uh, been fun to work my way through. Josh, what are you drinking and what have you been drinking? Well, speaking of the IPA sampler pack, I was at Westwood Liquors in St. Louis Park the (laughs) other day as well, and they had an IPA sampler pack from a brewery out of San Francisco, California, known as 21st Amendment mm. Brewery. Dan, do you know what the 21st Amendment is? Uh, isn't it about brewing free or dying? It <laughs> is the amendment that repealed prohibition. Uh, I, I should have known that. Okay. Yeah, so 21st Amendment Brewing, and they have the Brew Free or Die IPA, and now they have multiple iterations off of that, and so there's this sampler pack of four different IPAs from Brew Free or Die. The one I'm drinking during this episode is the Tropical IPA, uh, and it features Warrior and Cascade uh, kettle hops. And then Warrior the hops? hops? Yeah, so these are the, the kettle hops. 
they say, are Warrior and Cascade. I like Anthony Edwards has Warrior hops. I, exactly. I was thinking the same thing. And the fermenter hops are El Dorado, Mosaic, Amarillo, Idaho 7, mm. Cashmere, and Calypso. But I'm even more excited, Dan, about a, a crowler that is in my refrigerator being waiting to be consumed during tomorrow night's Timberwolves game. And this is the Dangerous Man Matchbox Coffee Porter. Uh -huh. uh, Matchbox is this very little coffee shop in northeast Minneapolis. You located almost right next door Matchbox to Matchbox is the coffee shop. Matchbox is yeah, the coffee okay. shop located right next door to to Dangerous Man. It's basically a counter with, you know, you could probably seat five people in there. Super small, really fun environment, good coffee, and Dangerous Man made a porter that features their coffee. So are I they a roaster or just a a coffee like you go there for a drink i just go there for a drink is my okay. understanding you you have kind of a we haven't featured dangerous man on one of our episodes but you have uh, kind of a personal connection just in sort of your year or two of living really close to there yeah the love right. affair with dangerous man uh brewing uh because my one of the reasons is my love affair started there right Aww. so my wife and i our first date was at uh dangerous man brewing and then we lived in northeast for a couple of years and was uh, just two blocks away lived about two blocks away from dangerous man brewing and had we went there the night we got engaged to celebrate mm. and so i have uh, your uh, groom's party like that that my bachelor party started there started at dangerous man brewing see i have a lot of uh Good memories. My only bad memory there is agreeing. Yeah, I know that. I know what this bad agreeing memory is. to play you in trivia on the day of our beer Olympics. <laughs> uh, not trivia, trivial pursuit, mind you. Right. Yeah. Uh, designed for fifty-year-olds rather than forty-year-olds. So uh, that's why. <laughs> right. yeah, that's, yeah, that's the excuse. <laughs> but the, uh, <laughs> but the uh, match me, I would never make an excuse, Dan. But the uh, Matchbox. No, not enough JoJo Siwa questions in there for you, Josh. <laughs> All right, Dan, anything else you want to say on the beer or should we get into the Wolves? Uh, let's go ahead and get into the Wolves. So we're going to revisit some of our earlier season takes. The last episode we did was just after uh, a few games into yeah. the season. And a lot has happened from the three and one start to the losing streak, which is it was, I want to say it was a five or six game losing streak. And six, now the I Wolves think. have won seven of their last uh, eight games, and let's revisit to see which of our earlier season takes have survived and which ones have have not. And I went scorched earth on that last episode around Carl Anthony Towns cannot be the leader of this team. He doesn't have mm -hmm. the emotional uh, steadiness or resilience or wherewithal on the basketball court to to be the leader of the team and. I really think that that has held up. Uh, I believe that Carl Anthony Towns is a great basketball player and can be a great basketball player on a great team, but can never be the sort of undisputed leader of a great team. Yeah, and I think that it's actually holding up on a couple of different fronts. Um, one is, <laughs> well, one is that, we have sort of seen, and I think that the discussion at the time was this idea of, you know, 
is it going to be cat is it going to be ant and completely unforeseen by anyone it seems like in the last few games that delo has even stepped into that uh leadership i don't know if you'd say void but just picked up that yeah, mantle yeah. but we'll talk about that a little down the line but i i think the other thing is and and this is maybe should have been where people missing the point in our last episode is that there has been this sort of false choice. Do you remember it was a couple weeks there in Twitter where people were getting really down on the cat emotion. He's sort of sabotaging the team. And there was a group of people that are like, you're nuts. Like cat is like the last problem this team has. He's the only guy hitting shots. He's got a ridiculous sort of plus minus and like when he's off the court, we lose when he's on the court, we win and people want to choose to focus on that. And that was kind of the argument. And I, I just think that that was always a false choice because I like many times people can't realize that two realities can simultaneously exist. And one is like, yes, he is still, he is the best player on the team. He's like, he's, he is literally the only person who's consistently hitting. I mean, Keith takes a three. You think it's going in and like, there's nobody else. You really think that except for certain moments with Ant or certain moments with D'Lo and maybe Beasley. Um, and, you know, he's just, he's doing it all, but then he is absolutely <laughs> melting down in the fourth quarter. And you could say he is our best player. And yet, you are willfully trying to ignore it. If you don't think that when he starts going down that road of the histrionics and the flailing and the complaining, that that is not having a negative impact on the team, certainly on his performance. And like when you fell out of a game, he fell out of the last two games. That's not helping. <laughs> he can be the best player in the team, but when you fell out, that doesn't help. It really doesn't. And so like those two things. And so, it's not that hard to see that like this last frontier for him really is like, how do you just maintain composure? And some of that is, you know, maybe tone it down with the complaints or, or whatever, but some of it is just like, calm down. Like, what are you doing in the first quarter when you score like 17 points and have six rebounds? Like what is happening then? And, and what sort of, uh, self-possession are you behaving with that is just simply missing when there's five minutes left, like slow down. The game doesn't move too fast for cat or it shouldn't. And just sort of like, take a moment. Who's open. You got two guys on you. Who's open. Don't, don't sidearm <laughs> skip past it. Just Collect it with two hands. Where's the open guy. And for some reason he's not unlocking that right now, but that can exist at the same time as you know this incredible skill set he has so one thing that i've seen over the past handful of games that i've been really encouraged by because i've largely been like this needs to ultimately be ant's team for this to be successful and to really work now it's starting to feel like you you mentioning delo earlier that it's kind of becoming ant and delo's team as People have talked about Cat and Ant being co-leaders. I'm almost seeing, at least of late, Ant and D'Lo being co-leaders. And oh, Cat we're going to get to D'Lo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. you know, you, a couple of games back, 
you know, and I think it's happened a, a few times, you know, the crowd starts chanting MVP when Ants at the free throw line. And I don't think at any time this year have they chanted MVP when Cats at the free throw line. And I like little subtle things like that that are just like, because he spelled out. I get it's just fans being like. fans, but it's like this subtle yeah. move to he's the man, he's the guy, he's the one that we rely on. And, uh, and, and of course, he just has this like cult of personality that really pushes it over the top in a way that, you know, D'Lo himself will, will never have necessarily, but that D'Lo is kind of becoming the on-court leader and Ant's becoming the emotional leader to an extent. And that cat's like craziness, I feel like, even though it's detrimental, is starting to get um, positioned in the right place. And last night's Pacers game is a, it's not necessarily an example, but you know, cat comes in with about five minutes left, and we have a lead that's about nine, and he immediately starts going emotionally insane and flaily and all that stupid garbage we have seen suffered through with him this season when he goes there. And all of a sudden, like, that lead goes down, that lead goes down, he hits a big shot, but it's still a little bit crazy, and he's flailing. Then he fouls out, and it's almost like this calm came back over the team when Nas entered (laughs) back in, and, like, D'Lo and... Who led the team with a plus 20 for the game, by the way, Nas did. Yeah, and so, it like, it just led to this calm that, you know, didn't exist in the four minutes or three and a half minutes before when Cat was in, I was actually, like... He only scored 32 points and had a bunch of rebounds. And, like, his stat line was phenomenal. When he fouled out, I felt relieved because I kind of felt like he was sabotaging our closing <laughs> uh, our closing situation and that had he stayed in, um, we might have lost it. I did not. If, it, if he had stayed in, he might have lost it. <laughs> <laughs> but I did not feel relieved when he fouled out. I'm just going on the record. Yeah. That was I, Josh I, was the one that said that. <laughs> I, I did last night. Like I have never felt that before, but just like tuning into that game and we had like a good thing going and then he yeah. checks back in and it gets all chaotic emotionally again. And maybe that lead comes down anyway, but I'm just, just from my perspective and I never want like cat to right. foul out. He's too valuable to make that happen. But uh, it, it does feel it does feel like something is going to have to happen for this sort of last frontier for him to get that under control because right now it's sort of a cyclical thing right where the refs have it in for him they they do and like we're not yeah. I really don't want to go down the road of like ref, ref but I mean just everybody kind of sees it at this point like yes. it's almost like a it's a it's a game between him and the refs and they're daring him to make them call more bullshit on him and and then it happens and it just feeds and so like it's hard for me to believe that that is not on the radar of finch and the coaching staff and maybe it's a thing that this you can't coach out of him but i i would like to think that maybe there's just some sort of behind the scenes campaign working on on addressing that but what I wanted to say about this whole thing, like the true key to this working, you talk about this sort of ant and D'Lo co-leadership, but really though, we're, we're really sort of hoping for like, here's ant and he's like having these superstar moments. And the fact is when cats in there more often than not, he's like playing at an all-star level in every, 
every quarter he's in there where like ant comes out and has a huge third, but he might be gone for a couple quarters or D'Lo might be gone for a couple quarters. And like you right now, cat is still far and away the best player on the team. But what I'm sort of thinking is like, when you think about that eventuality where cat goes and we don't want him to go to another team, but if he goes to another team, the general consensus is he gets brought into some team that's like got, a resident superstar. He's like, goes to Portland. They've got Damian Lillard and cat is willing to be a number two in order to make a title run. And that's how the general playbook runs or, or is supposed to run. And this idea that cat would not mind stepping back into a backseat to join a, a certified superstar. Where, and the real key to this working here is how could you finesse it? And it would have to be done with such care and such gracefulness, but how would you finesse it for cat to be like, Hey, I, I'm fine with being the number two here. I'm going to do it in a way that doesn't like emasculate me. And I'm not even saying like he, he could be like the most amazing number two in the league in some ways, yeah. you know, based on his skill set. but for, for him not to be depended upon to be the, the rock, you know, the emotional leadership rock that everyone's sort of climbing onto. It's like, nope, I'm just going to sit here and get, you know, 28 and 10 <laughs> on 44% three point shooting and maybe the best scoring skill set in the league. And kind of like, I mean, it didn't work there. I mean, it was working until injury, but sort of like hardened, you know, Cat is the Harden to the, uh, you know, whatever D'Lo, Chris Paul, but that sort of thing where, mm-hmm. like, you know, who's actually, hey, that might not be a good comp. I don't know if there actually is a comp because I don't know as that has necessarily been done if there's been a guy who is, like, the established far and away best player of a team and then you draft someone and they're like, okay, now you're the guy and I'll I'll step back and just do what I do. But it... <laughs> what an intriguing potential if that could end up being the dynamic because you know, this team is taking a, I don't care who you got on the roster. This team is taking a huge, huge step back. If something happens where, where cat is not on it anymore. And, and Hey, that's not what this podcast today is about. No. And I actually, I, I resent you a little bit for uh, bringing up the cat going to another place uh, uh, narrative right now. And, uh, but let me, I want to loop back to that. So I want to put, put a pin into. As long as you just resent me a little bit. I'm going to scold Dan for mentioning that in a minute. But Dan, the uh, one thing that has me encouraged is, and where I've actually begun to change my mind a little bit. I've changed my mind on something. I really thought it was almost not possible for the team to probably transition from cat as leader to say ant as leader. Uh, but over the past, you know, uh, I mean, wins change everything, I guess, but over the past eight games, I'm more optimistic than I've ever been about this team as is being able to make that transition from Cat was the man to Ant is the man and Delo's kind of like the closer, right? Uh, at, at least in the at this time, I think ultimately Ant's going to be a monster closer, um, mm-hmm. but he's kind of getting his legs underneath him while Delo carries the load on that. But I didn't think that Cat would be willing to take that step back, but I'm more optimistic now than I've ever been that he will be able to, and that it wouldn't be a 
him being frustrated and then forcing a trade or going to another team. Like if this team wins, Cat's gonna stay. Oh yeah. Um, and so I um I'm more optimistic about that than I've been. And I and about him being able to settle into that role is like, yep, I'm a Hall of Fame player on and I'm not the leader of this team because we have a guy who hasn't a, a a skill set that is better suited, a skill set and a mentality that's actually better suited to carry that load. And and in fairness to me, I I was not trying to get the cat is going somewhere else narrative going. I was simply saying that were he to, the expectation would be a lot more in place for him to take a step back and just wondering how feasible that is staying put. I don't know that we have seen a roadmap for that really, but yeah, I think the closest roadmap we would have would maybe be, but it was more end of career. So it's not great. And it's not a great one, but I think of David Robinson and Tim Duncan kind of the day where David Robinson was the man. And then Tim Duncan comes in and is who he is. And you know, they won a title together and, but it was like allowing Duncan to be Duncan and Robinson kind of stepping back. I think David Robinson and Kat are very different human beings. Uh, I guess Shaq going to Dwayne Wade's heat, mm-hmm. sort of. But that was a that was a little bit of a different dynamic. You know, Shaq had his titles. Yeah. So anyway, uh, before we go to uh, our Delo segment, I want to toss something out to you that I think uh, is interesting. I think, you know, Cat right now, something like his post game is gone. You know, he can't like post up a little guy. He can't really post up a big guy much. Uh, I think Cat is now Dirk Nowitzki and we need to treat mm. him as such. Ooh, I like it, actually. I like it. I mean, he, he can... He sells a much better post game than Dirk, but I, 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 I see what you're saying as far as like how to open him up and create space. I, I do think the idea of feed, the, the days of feeding him in the low block have got to just be gone. And of course, Finch sees stuff that we don't see, but you know, I, I think the thing that we have seen is he, where he's lost the ability to bang a bit. He also has gained an ability to just crush single coverage Yes. On the perimeter. Yeah, and like so a better driving Dirk Nowitzki. It almost makes him like way more dangerous than Dirk maybe yeah. ever was. I mean, Dirk was so like crafty and an otherworldly shooter. But I mean, Cat is an otherworldly shooter too in a in a different way. But uh, I think that if we look at using Cat more like the Mavs used Dirk back in the day, that might much better suit this team. There's something just weird about how it seems like for a guy that literally has a most more diverse offensive skill set than like maybe anybody in the NBA that we have to be so specific about how, how to unlock It's like, well, you can't unlock cat this way. You can't unlock him this way. Oh, he's been in five bad systems in a row. (laughs) And I guess you could say he's been in five bad systems in a row and has yet produced at an elite level, but it still seems kind of chill silly to be talking about like how do we unlock you know this guy who literally can score from anywhere on the court it seems like it's 
often made too hard. And especially now that he's got a couple other potentially elite scores around him. It's just, it's just weird. And final question on cat. And then let's talk D low. Yeah. How many threes a game should cat shoot? Eight. That was the number that went into my head too. Like every time you're at the top of the, he's at the top of the key and he has like an ounce of space. He should fire that thing away. Fire it away. Eight times a game. It's probably going to make three and a half of them, right? Like in long term, maybe four. Um, what did you think last night with when we were potentially taking our, our last uh, – we potentially had our last offensive possession or one of our last offensive possessions, and the right pass went to Josh Kogi. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, remember this, I remember this vividly, and I was like, don't shoot it, don't shoot it, don't shoot it. And then, of course, he shot it. And who got the offensive rebound there? Was it Ant? And then it got – No, no, no. Uh, uh, it might have, and then it – Kicked out to D'Lo, who kind of did that. Who, uh, yeah. To Beasley in the corner. Which, yeah, no, it was, it was interesting how, like, oh, yeah, that's the right play, but he shouldn't shoot it. <laughs> but credit to yeah. Kogi for having a huge impact. Um, yeah. Doing what Kogi does on the defensive end and making winning plays that uh, saved it. I was pumped about for that. Sure. Dan, enough of Cat and Kogi's elite yeah. defense. Dan, we are a pro D'Lo podcast always have so i've been, heard always have been uh and continue to be we were during the good times we were during the early season like mm. yeah uh, but Dan, uh what's this real what is this being a pro D'Lo podcast really all about well <laughs> is there anybody that knows what being a pro D'Lo podcast is all about <laughs> lights please <laughs> so Okay, <laughs> this is to, to to be clear. This is not because like Delo's like his stock is really high right now, and this yeah. is not about like dancing on anyone's grave or anything like that. Truthfully, <clears throat> to be very truthful, it's kind of all been in fun all along. Like you know, we're a pro Delo podcast. There is an aesthetic about his game that we have always appreciated. And Josh, one was the most joyous get togethers for a beer that we've had in maybe the last four years of our life was he, what was the yeah, episode? We were at, we were at prize brewing uh, right on the Mississippi river, celebrating the exit of Andrew Wiggins and D'Lo coming in. I remember the table we sat at. I remember the yeah. cheers. We, we gave you? one another. You were in wolves gear. <laughs> Uh, all over the celebration of D'Lo coming in and Wiggins going out. Right. And maybe people can uh, hit us up on Twitter and say, where were they when they heard the news <laughs> that Wiggins was going out and D'Lo was headed in? And this right now is not, you know, we're not going to relitigate the Wiggins trade entirely, but to just say that what are we even doing? Like we're watching basketball because we enjoy it and because it's fun and regardless of what numbers and metrics ever said and and they actually said a lot but wiggins was a joy suck at his time his entire long long tenure with this team yeah even to bring him up it just the energy goes out of my immediate space and 
I just enjoy Delo's his aesthetic, his his swagger, his big shot making, and even at times where we we've known his efficiency or his shot selection to be odd or his effort on defense, there was something that always felt like, and this was always part of it. There was some sort of disconnect behind sort of a cerebral vibe I got when he talked about the game or was interviewed and then some of what you would see on the court and what we had talked about in sort of the lowest times is his most sort of indicting stretches here was about how all the times he seemed to underperform in his career was when he was in a position that was really not designed to maximize him. We talked about, he yeah. needs to not be, it's like D we need you to be the guy quarters one through four. You, you know, you gotta be the guy that this whole team is, is based on. And just the idea that when he was in a functioning system in Brooklyn, he really performed at a high level in multiple areas of the game, including to some extent defense. And I thought, and and I'm going to pull out this, like, so there's this sort of crafty component to his game that he has, right? We saw when he put Duncan Robinson on roller skates the other night against Miami and just sort of his like uh, hesitation moves and, smooth, you know, movement with a ball and maybe underrated athleticism. And he just has this crafty ability. I, Sam Cassell, hmm. who was never wow. accused by anyone of being like a world-class defender, but was absolutely a leader and also not accused of any, by anyone of being a world-class athlete, but, had a crafty gene, wanted the ball in big moments and was absolutely a leader and could make things happen. And th- there is, there are similarities that I see And this whole newfound defensive piece in my most glorious golden dreams. I did not foresee D'Lo quarterbacking the defense, telling yeah. people where to be anticipating what the other team is running that for me came out of nowhere. Although I would have said again, I've seen him talk about how he studies the game in a way, the way I hear him talk about the game and have always heard him talk about the game is not a thing I have ever heard from the sort of classical classic volume scores. Like the, there's right. just the, the checkers of the league. And so there, there was just always felt like there's a few components to what he had to offer that were yet to be unlocked. And look, it's a, it's still a short stretch, but I mean, <laughs> he, he's certainly showing what he's capable of. Uh, so that was a, a bit of a rant right there, but I think the we're, we are a pro D'Lo podcast is looking pretty good. I just feel good for icy D'Lo really. Yeah, when we <laughs> no, I see D-Lo now on Twitter. That we are now that we uh, <laughs> uh, now that we know that we uh, now that we are now in a spot where at the end of the game we know we are in clutch hands. 
Mm. Um, it is nice to be on that side of it where before yeah. so often it's like we do not have a guy who can own this moment because it's hard for a f- power forward or center to own end of game moments because you don't have yeah. the ball in your hands to create that shot and you know it, Ant was a rookie last year and is still sort of getting his wings underneath him and Wiggins never had the ability of like oh this is the guy you're going to rely on for eight possessions in a row to get you a bucket or get to the free throw line or to make it happen. He just never had it. And D'Lo has that. And it's so fun to cheer for and, and beautiful to watch. Yeah. And I, I'm starting to love, not starting to love. I have loved from the first moment I had evidence of it, the new getting to the line D'Lo, the Mm -hmm. taking guys off the dribble D'Lo and taking it to the hoop. D'Lo. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's great to see. And, uh, gosh, I hope this defensive thing sticks. Um, it, it seems like his impact as much as his individual defense has now become him calling out the coverages and where people are supposed to go and his ability to communicate on, on defense that is making as much of an, or like is making a significant impact as well. And, Communicate that that's the thing is that um, if defense is so much about communication as well as effort and athleticism and positioning, etc., that's something that like doesn't go away, right? That's not yeah. even like you, yes, you have to be mentally locked into the game, but uh, so I <laughs> well, maybe it did go away though. I don't know. I, I actually, I didn't, I don't recall his what he was doing sort of a, like in, in his defensive stint with Brooklyn, but did it go yeah. away? And maybe um, it's worth mentioning that it's, it he's, he's, it's pretty fair to, to ask like, why now? Why? Wow. Did you see before? that he recently credited taking in uh learning a lot from his stint in golden state from Draymond I did, green? Yeah, I did. I did see that. And, so, and I think that we haven't had enough consistency. I would venture to guess that we have not had enough consistency in lineups and in people here until of late where we've actually had a pretty consistent, like, even though like Vando and McDaniels were out last night, we have like a rotation and Finch has shortened it since earlier in the season. No, we, I haven't seen too many people talk about how like we were at an 11 yeah. uh, guy rotation and now it's closer to nine. Usually that is, that is not talked about enough. Like yeah. he just did it. He just shortened it. I, so, I do think it's fair to say. I think that oh, helps with communion. Yeah. I, I, to put a bow on that point, I think it helps with communication and, and uh, being able to be a good quarterback of the defense to have like a less guys and be, more consistency in the rotation and now 20 games worth of uh of that in the in the regular season that it's now starting to like settle in yeah and then i think it, it's fair maybe to mention like last season between the sort of combination of maybe not totally buying into the the ryan saunders system and having a little right. trouble getting going with that but also the rotating cast of characters and people that were in and out with injury. And uh, even like, we're starting to find out like, who are the guys that really buy in and what's the new, like, do you, and it seems like a, this would be laughable if you were saying it a year ago, but like, you know, who, who's here to play Timberwolves style of basketball, you know, you gritty, 
Are you Leandro Balmero? You're going to play a gritty style. Yeah. We got a place for you. You know, Juancho Ernan Gomez, maybe, you know, go play somewhere else. <laughs> and, and so maybe, you know, it, it, some of it had to do with like, who's going to be here and, and open to that kind of messaging and who, you know, so yeah, there's a lot of things were going on. And I think honestly, it probably threw him for a bit of, of a loop when Rubio, the quintessential floor general was brought mm -hmm. in when maybe D'Lo had a vision for like, here's what I think I might do with this team. And suddenly you got this beloved point guard who is everybody's mentor in the locker room. And you're like, yeah, but you know, why did you recruit me and bring me in to be like the. That's a really good point of getting, you know, Brit, Brit of, of, uh, well, now the men post uh, previously the athletic yeah. and currently writing for the men post and everybody's uh, <laughs> or many a popular uh, commentator on the wolves was never a fan of the uh, D'Lo Rubio pairing for a number of reasons. And maybe we really are seeing the, uh, the benefit, like how right he was. And as you're just mentioning the benefits of, yeah, like how does that, you've got a, how much did that handicap, optimizing D'Lo of having Rubio here. Maybe a yeah. lot. Maybe a lot. Yeah. There were a lot of weird, so many weird things. There were so many reasons that you could say like last year was just a mulligan on a number of fronts. But anyway, that's, that's, so I think when you're looking back, you know, your take on cat and my, our pro D'Lo podcast, holding up, holding up. Holding up and as well as like, I'm going to say like, I, I should have gone back to see what, but when we were talking about where we might be, I mean, we're not at the end of the season. Right. But mm -hmm. I mean, we're kind of, we're talking about like, why are people talking about like this season is going to be a major season. success if we're, you know, eking into the eking into the plan. Like this team had, we believe in this coach. We essentially believe in this cast of characters and the level of talent, like there's no reason why we're not bet. You know, I'm not, I still have it at the bottom here where we had saved the bleacher report predictions for the year where here's who they got <laughs> directly yeah. in front of the Timberwolves or the Kings, then the Pelicans. Yeah. The Grizz, the Blazers. Like, Ooh, Ooh, Ooh. So, you know, a lot of things, a lot of seasons still to play, but, um, Ooh, all right, should we move on to uh, some of our traditional segments we have for this? Yeah, which one do you want to do? Uh, do you want to skip any of these or do you want to? Uh... We can blow through them fast if we need to. Yeah. Uh, or do you want to do hot and cold, you know, where we're at on the scale of one to ten? <laughs> You're just afraid to do it because you were like given, you were giving us like a nine and a ten in the off season. And like, but you got to be more excited now. And that's why you should always yeah, no, that. Like, I, I will go first. You know, I obviously winning seven of the last eight games and us now seeing uh, the potential of this roster and this team, but in a way that we weren't expecting, you know, defense, grit, mm. resilience, like toughness, like we're not afraid to be physical. We'll get in there, get after it with you. Like we thought it might just be like, we are going to outscore teams and that's how we win. And that ain't it yet. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm a 10 on excitement right now. Or I'd say I'm a 9.5, Dan, because um, I don't want to go full on 10, but I am a, I am a 9.5 on account of grit and defense and uh, 
you know, us seeing dimensions of this team that nobody envisioned coming in. We're winning, we're winning in ways that we nobody, not a single person predicted that we were yeah. gonna win games on the defensive end. It's nuts. Um, I'm going to go with a nine. I always got to leave that, you know, th- that buffer. And, and you, you think about those areas of improvement where we're just sending opposing bigs or just having like a layup line. <laughs> just so many fouls from our bigs. It does yeah. still appear to be. It's weird because early on we were just getting crushed from a rebounding standpoint. And now the team is starting to get rebounds, but we're also fouling in the process of doing that. And there's a weird thing where like the team I have noticed in my, my many, many years of observing basketball that traditionally the, the aggressive team usually goes to the line more and we're usually the more aggressive team and we're getting called for fouls. And I don't know, it's got to be some of it is experience. Like these guys, like you have our collective amount of experience. Like Cat just is a foul machine. And then aside from him, you got like Vando does not have a lot of NBA experience. Nas does not have a lot of NBA experience. Jaden McDaniels. And so we just have a lot of guys that they just don't know the tricks of the trade. And I think there's a way that it's like I say Pekovic is <laughs> – first year in the league averaged, I think it was like seven fouls per 36 in his rookie year. Wow. Refs figured him out. He kind of figured out what he needed to do. And I think there's just adjustments. I mean, he had more, a little bit more of an adjustment kind of coming from where he was coming from. And, um, but I, I, I think that some of that's going to sort itself out, but all that is in that, that space of that one. Cause I'm going to go with, a, I'm at a nine out of 10. All right, Dan, what are people freaking out about? People are freaking out about the refs. And I just want to make this point that you can get, you can think of call as bad. You can be like, oh, that wasn't a foul. No, no, no. You know, but, and we've said this before that like, as soon as the, the refs, you suck chance, I hate to see that. I hate refs. You suck because, and thank God our team is too resilient to be sucked in with that. But when you're a player and you start hearing refs, you suck you suddenly have, that's an excuse. You lose, everyone knows, everyone there is watching, the refs screwed us, you know, you got an out now. And like, what? as soon as you start making it about the refs, it's a way that you could say like, oh, we've already lost. I don't mind that. You don't, <laughs> don't, you don't mind, oh, go ahead, push back. I don't mind that as much. I would actually like Target Center to be an environment where referees feel a little scared. Um, and maybe we just have to build to that. How have we seen these refs react to people taking exception to their calls? Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I get it. But that there's an element of, uh, you know, like Philly has this reputation actually just across all sports of being just like really, you know, nasty fans in many cases. And Minnesota is a Minnesota nice thing. And I, I, I don't have a problem with our fan base becoming a little nasty, like our team's a little bit nasty at times too and that you know refs it might take some time to get there and and to respect that but that we uh maybe we are on the journey there you know it's always darkest before the dawn dan and, I, I, i'm gonna uh, draw a clear distinction between 
booing a bad call and doing a refs you suck chant, which is like booing is like, we disagree with what you just did. And a ref at mm-hmm. that point might be like, you know, like, Oh, uh, you know, all right. I, you know, they think I, boy, everyone here seems to think I missed something. I'm going to, you know, stick my ground. I'm not going to like overturn my own call, but everyone here sure. appears to think I missed something. You start with the refs. You suck. That's just like a general, like, <laughs> it's not a personal attack, but it's like, it's not even specifically. It's just like saying like, we disagree with, we object to everything about how you, how you're doing your job. And it, I don't know. It just, it's. What if we did something like that it. was more like refs stop gambling on the game. <laughs> yeah. That see, that's has, that's more specific. Refs, that would maybe address the specific issue that we're. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Because if uh, they want to make money betting on the game, Josh, what did they need to do? It was a, it was pretty simple. You had the blueprint for that. <laughs> Wolves over under at thirty two point five, like Timberwolves tip to tap. That's <laughs> we tried to tell them. We tried to tell them. But you know, there, is, there is history of NBA refs. At least Tim Donahue, you know, he was oh, sure. yeah. on it, and he probably set up a school for those refs that were officiating the Philly game that are attending right now. And I guess that they probably lost some money on that game, but that's all a part of the Donahue school of, of repping right there. And um, like so I'm, is, yeah. I'm not going to rule anything out, but I will say that I think that what's happening can probably be explained by cat is in a self perpetuating cycle of, complaining and aggravating the refs and aggravating himself and getting himself into a hole. They're making bad calls and screwing him over kind of because of, I'm not saying it's right, but he sort of brought it on himself. And then as for everyone else, it's an inexperienced thing and a fact that we're undersized and, and trying to keep bodies like Sabonis away from doing what he does and and it's just it's a it's an explosive combination all right the only thing i want anyway, to say on this dan is yeah. that i believe that every time cat flips out about a foul that he was called for that pretty much every single time he flips out it was obvious that he committed a foul pretty much every single time and that that his complaining is very detrimental to him to the team to the rest yeah. etc i also believe that Cat is one of the most unfairly officiated players I have seen. Two things that can be true. The contact that he absorbs and does not get called for. Uh, In terms of the lack of experience, you know, I think of like Nas Reed last night and, you know, he got called for a foul when going for a rebound and Nas is like sitting there on the ground all pissed to show the replay and like Nas clearly shoved the guy out of bounds. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> not quite as hard as Embiid shoved him. Uh, you know, right, yeah, right. <laughs> like not even close to as hard that right. he didn't get caught for. But and yet, like Nas um, totally committed that foul. And so, um, yeah, it's. I think there's a there's two things happen as you say, Dan. Two things can be true at the same time. That cat is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, many of our players are uh, inexperienced and also not seeing it. And that the refs are very unfairly officiating us uh, many, many games. 
Uh, so I would say cat. I don't know that they are unfairly officiating us. I think we okay. just have a I, lot I, of players that, yeah. Fair, yeah. No, but other than that, yeah, I think we're pretty close. Um, the, the only other thing, and I'll mention this really quickly, but this this really has to do with the most recent thing you have seen is not the only thing you've ever seen. I think pe people are really freaking out about Jordan McLaughlin. You are not allowed to one year ago today talk about how he's – actually way better than Tyus Jones ever was. We made a great call. And why doesn't he just start instead of Ricky Rubio and D'Lo and then now say he completely sucks. He should be out of the NBA. It's like, you're just not allowed to do that. Or you should just keep those thoughts to yourself. If that's the way you have basketball takes. So like Jordan McLaughlin is, is playing really, really badly right now. He's not that bad. Just calm down. Finch is dealing with it appropriately. He's kind of out of the rotation. He's going to have to prove, you know, that he needs to be out there again. But like, lay off Jordan McLaughlin, who is a an you know, who's an NBA basketball player who has proven to know how to play the game. So Dan Hilton Freedom does not want you to be criticizing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going on the Tucker Carlson show to talk about it. Um, yeah, Dan, uh, but I do yeah. want to say one thing. You're you're right in that uh, Jordan McLaughlin, what a fall from grace in terms of the Timberwolves fan base from this guy's really good, what a steal, what a bargain, maybe should be starting, we love everything about him too. He's just useless. That said, a question for you, uh, or not even a question, a comment that you can respond to. I don't see him making his way back in the lineup over Bomaro. I just don't see it happening. No, no, I, I absolutely, it's... Absolutely, Balmero's to lose. And one of the things is like, I mean, McLaughlin for his abilities that he does. I mean, he, he's a fine third. I mean, he's really kind of fourth, if you want to say, like, you know, Beverly. But mm -hmm. I, McLaughlin may be totally out of the lineup. And if so, that's fine. We're not paying him a whole lot of money. But um, he may not have that quality that like we're really talking about. Like that, I mean, who, who do you want that's going to scrap and fight and you know, the thing that like, it, got that in spades, I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you think like us here in Minnesota and like that feeling we get, and I don't know how many of our listeners, especially ones not in Minnesota are also Vikings fans, but that feeling when like the other team has the ball, it's a two minute drill. They're down by six. Like you just know, you absolutely know we're going to lose. It's like, they're going to go down the field. They're going to, you know, and, and the fact that we are changing that narrative for the Timberwolves, like how many times are we seeing games this year where you just absolutely knew how the script was going to go in pretty much every other year since Garnett has been here when, Oh, that was the moment we were supposed to fold. Oh, that was the moment things were supposed to continue melting down. And this is not all to say like Jordan McLaughlin. It's like <laughs> taking him out of the lineup is the reason that this isn't happening. But when we're talking about assembling a group of players that make that not happen, you know, it, you know, who's, who's, who's not in the mix and, you know, maybe he's not. But this is all to say that Jordan McLaughlin is not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> what are you most excited about, Dan? A couple of things. D'Lo that we don't need to go into again right here. Um, defense. And the fact that people have not been talking about D'Lo putting the D in defense is just a travesty against Twitter memes. 
<laughs> isn't it? <laughs> but um, yeah, the, the defense, like as you you said, we nobody saw this coming. We're like the a top five defense, mm-hmm. a top five defense. We're talking about like if we could somehow find our way into being like in the top twenty defense, can we? And maybe that's the difference between talking about whether we're a play-in team or a playoff team. But man, you know, we got a murderer's row of games pretty much for the rest of the season. But um gosh, we're winning some of those games right now. And um the defense is is making it possible, as is the grittiness. What, what about you, Josh? Me, man, you know, you talk oh, yeah. about, a, oh, we've got this murderer's row coming up. What are the Timberwolves going to do? It reminds me of the scene in the, I don't think you've watched the the series Breaking Bad. But no. Walter White, you know. Is, Wait, was uh, it was it made in between like 1972 and 1983? <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, so, Breaking, so Breaking Bad and, you know, Walter White, uh, you know, this former uh, chemistry teacher now turned meth kingpin and total badass you know his wife that didn't quite realize like who he had become and she's worried about like who's gonna knock on our door next and you know kill us and he has this moment he said i am the one who knocks ah nice and i think that's what the timberwolves are right now dan we are the ones who knock we are your murderers yeah bro we are in that lineup now and Delo's not just putting ice in his veins he's putting ice on the other team's shooting percentages oh <laughs> i don't know what he's shooting yeah. into their arms but it's like whatever the opposite it's the opposite of whatever <laughs> instead of a instead of a needle with the eyes he's like shooting it from one of those super soakers <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah. that's got to be his new thing is the ice defense He's freezing, freezing up your shooting percentages, right? Dan, Dan, you know what I'm most excited about right now is uh, actually Vando. Uh, I think mm. like his defense, his hustle, his rebounding. It's always his contract. <laughs> yeah, and on the contract he's on, he's always been like this energy guy, but he has taken it to like a Rodman-esque level, which it's I know nuts. maybe defensively that's overstating it a little bit, but in terms of the the guy who is everywhere getting a hand on every ball. It's like, no matter where something is on the court, Vando is there and create and, and creating um, sort of chaos in those moments. I am, I, I was really concerned about losing that against Indiana. And I think we did suffer a bit for not having him in there. He's obviously not like a, Oh, we can't do without him, but I, I don't know that we could do without him for long and against many, many teams. So I am uh, most excited about the, the next level that Vando has reached in his role on the team. Yeah. It, actually interesting. Since you mentioned that Vando being out and I'll mention Beverly being out. And I was just thinking, hoping he, this doesn't become a recurring thing. He comes back and he continues to give us, you know, a good 27 to 30 minutes a game for the rest of the year. <clears throat> but there's something about, the you think about in the past of the year, you know, Rocco comes in and we have this great stretch of defense and then he goes out and suddenly we just fall apart. It's like, we can't, what can we do without Rocco? And there's something really intriguing about this idea that discovering that we can do it without this new spiritual leader and this tone setter and the wolves. I don't remember the last time they had a next man up mentality. You, there's teams all, all right. over the, league that have 
a reputation for doing that in the past. Maybe some of that is depth and maybe some of it is, is culture, but it's pretty exciting to see that. We really saw it last night. I think, you know, if Vando and Beasley were out and we had that Miami game again, maybe we, you know, can't quite, you know, the grittiness alone is not enough, but it's, it's pretty exciting to see us still have that toughness without three of our top defenders and arguably our two grittiest players not on the court. That's pretty exciting. And you know what? I mean, Balmero doesn't play. Do we win that game? You know, and, Mm -hmm. and that's part of that sort of looking at like, who's this cast of characters we're rolling with who fits this new identity and who doesn't. And these are the guys that are going to, you know, find their way on the court. And it's kind of interesting actually, when you like, you know, I used to be (laughs) always had a bit of an affinity for Jake lame. And, but when you start thinking about the players that have just sort of found their way out of the rotation and these guys were kind of there, you know, getting a fair amount of minutes during some of these more meandering times of the last couple of years. And maybe, maybe they don't share that quality. So Dan, any blind spots you want to point out uh, among the Wolves fan base or uh, NBA in general? Yeah, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this, and I don't encourage anyone else to spend a lot of time griping about lack of coverage or the way we're seen by um, the national media because we're not even on any national games. Who's even watching? But it's a little annoying. I I just checked out a couple national power rankings because I just want to see. It's like, hey, Wolves are going to crack a couple top tens here because we're nearly in top 10 in record if we're not for the NBA, but also just because of the run we're on. It's just, it's going to be nice to see some national media saying some positive things. And I look at power ranking after, and this is stuff like in the last, you know, within the last 24 hours. And you see that we're like, nine spots behind Philadelphia, you know, in a couple different ones. And you're like, wait a minute, they have the same record as us. We just beat them on their home court. We've won seven of eight and they've lost like six of their last eight. And you sort of realize that like, it's, they're really just, it's a combination of record and reputation and the teams they happen to have watched. And it's just a little disheartening that when you see something like, you know, literally ESPN or NBC sports where presumably people are being paid to do this very thing that there's still not any more sort of awareness of what's going on. And I, I want to spend a lot of time on it, but yeah. sort of like our power rankings, when we do our t- Timberwolf power ranks, we're not doing who the best player is, right? We're doing like, who's got five we're like who's who's got a little momentum behind him and right. it, it's just weird it's like it's sort of like grading the draft where you're like oh we'll give a an a to the team that drafted the best player and a b to the team that <laughs> drafted the you know the third best player it's like you know have a little fun with this you know so. what philly needs really bad oh anyway there's a blind spot because they appear to be blind to like what's yeah you know what philly needs really bad dan D'Angelo Russell. Ben Simmons. <laughs> oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> you know, we've, uh, and we, we, uh, more off the podcast than on, have kind of bantied about and been on both sides of would you trade D'Lo for Ben Simmons? And originally we're like, no, we want to run it back. And then we're kind of in that dark spot and we were having a drink at prize. We were like, yeah, you know, it's like, 
we probably would. And now I think we're probably both on the absolutely not. Um, yeah, I want to run it back. You know, <laughs> side, side of things. But uh, it really seems like Philadelphia may just really need Ben Simmons and they totally screwed themselves over. And I could not be happier about yeah. that. Uh, I will say, Dan, I, I don't consume an ounce of um, national uh, NBA content. To the only thing credit. I consume are Krasinski on The Athletic. Brit with the Min Post, Dane's podcast, and all of the Timberwolves Twitter characters. And that is my, uh, that is the extent of my NBA uh, content consumption. Understood. Um, the last, bl- the, the blind spot for the Timberwolf community that I'll throw in there is uh, Nathan is not going to be your knight in shining armor. And this is almost more directed at myself where for the longest time I was thinking like, we're getting knocked around in there. We need another big body to throw in. What, how could it hurt to bring in Nathan Knight and just like, he's got a little bulk and some energy and maybe just see if he could, you know, surprise us by what he can contribute at the four. And I was thinking, you know, our whole issue right now is fouling. And like, if you think we're going to bring in Nathan Knight and he's not going to immediately just like, cause he, again, you're talking a guy that has very little experience doesn't have the respect to the refs. It's like, no, 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 no. Or just, he want to, so what, he want to send Sabonis to the line 30 times instead of 25 times? By all means, bring in Nathan Knight and you really want him in. Crunch time is when this becomes an issue, right? It's like, you're not going to bring him in then. So I think I get why we've not seen a Nathan Knight appearance. And maybe it's sort of like, I don't know, maybe we see as the season goes on, we have a game where we get a big you know, big lead and just sort of filter him in for a few minutes and get him some experience. But if people are thinking like, why don't we bring in Nathan Knight? That's, that's where I, that's why I throw in for another blind spot. Yeah, fair enough. You know, I was uh, at the, I was in attendance at the Wolves blowout of the Grizzlies at home. Yeah. And Nathan Knight did get into that game. And one thing that was notable, not that you can pull a lot from crunch time, but he handled himself like a professional in that garbage time. Or a lot of times you see players like they're very loose and, you know, they're not tight at all. Like he came in and handled his business and played really professionally. And so I was impressed by that. I get the context of the game doesn't really allow you to evaluate it, but you're right in that if he didn't get any playing time last night when McDaniels and Vando were both out, like he is far away from seeing meaningful minutes on this team. Yeah. I just don't think he has that level of experience. And at the same time, I think he might have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. I remember in the, 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 uh, Dave Benz actually asked him when they had the, um, the media day before the season started. And Dave Benz asked him some question about like how, you know, whether the, you know, how is things seem different to him now that he's in the NBA or like how that is different than the college game. he's like, I did play for Atlanta last year. Yeah. (laughs) Just kind of forgetting that he does actually have NBA experience. And I, I think he might have a little bit like, you know, he would tell you, it's like, well, yes, I knew how to, you know, conduct my business. I like literally have been in the NBA for a couple of years. Yeah. Right. So. All right, Dan, bring us home with Timberwolf power rankings. Well, what do you have at number five today? Top five Minnesota Timberwolf power rankings 
based on buzz, based on juice, based on not the best player per se, but who's got that vibe, right? Yeah, who's got I'm the opposite of Charlotte vibes on the Timberwolves. I am making a last kind wow. of like last no, minute scratch last wow. night. Okay, okay, okay. Last minute Vando scratch last night, although it's not a last minute Vando scratch. Ooh. Um, so number one in the Timberwolf power rankings, you just got to do it. You got to go D-low because are you going I mean, one to five this time? Oh, wow. <sighs> well, you have to now. You have to. I didn't bury the lead. This is crazy. This <laughs> stop the press. Unprecedented <laughs> times, Dan. Uh, all right, Dan. We're gonna go one to five. This is incredible. We've never done this. Like <laughs> somebody needs to hear about this. The people that listen to this podcast will hear about this. <laughs> D'Lo, <laughs> number one in the power rankings. Uh, I'm not sure we have seen that during the season. I think there might have been like some. No, just haven't seen it. Just I okay. Seen it. I don't think we've seen it. All right, D'Lo, number one. We talk about D'Lo. Who then? Who do you have at number two? Yeah, uh, I got Ant, um, who still has those moments where, and currently, and so far this year, we're seeing him in like six to seven minute stretches instead of for 48 minute stretches. But where it's, and I said this in one of our past podcasts, where it reminds me of Giannis, who will have these moments where he's like, oh, yeah, I'm the best player on the court. And then he starts behaving accordingly. And the aunt will have this moment where he's like, oh, yeah, I can get to the hoop anytime I want and pull up from 27 feet. And so based on those sorts of flashes, I mean, that he's must-see TV, isn't he? There was a it, it, stretch last night. <laughs> it's amazing how little we've talked about Ant, given how fantastic that he has been. But we've sort of talked yeah. about the some of the problems and some of the surprises. And I feel like Ant is delivering, he's he's meeting and in some cases exceeding what we expected, but we had very high expectations, so he hasn't blown them out of the water. And he hasn't underachieved our expectations in any amount. And so like Ant has been, I think, who we hoped he would be. And now we're yeah. just saying like, we just want a little bit more consistent relentlessness that there aren't these stretches where you're on the floor and... And I, I would say on the offensive end, because people have made a point to say, like, you know, he's, his assist numbers are pretty sound. He's he's getting some pretty good rebounding numbers. But that, like, his really just on the game goes from, like, 2 to – on a scale of 0 to 10, it goes from, like, 2 to 20. And then, like, he has this stretch of um, incredible uh, effort and – everything over like six minutes and then it's like gone sometimes. Yeah. And I think in, in fairness, like he's had to transform his game so much from what he was doing in college and just coming late to the game in life and what he has learned about defense, the defender he's become the distributor this year is like the big difference. in last year is some of the decision-making and the playmaking. And I think what you're really talking about with, the sort of disappearing because really in the big scheme of things, he's not disappearing, but it's right. really about the scoring, like him being putting a constant pressure on the rim and being it's a constant pressure on the defense that at times is not there. Right. Um, Where you don't need to be like, we have you, you last scored your bucket 15 minutes of playing time ago should not happen. And I'm, 
pretty confident later in this season we're going to see that go away like we did last year. Yeah, it's um, almost like Ant relies a little too much on needing that dunk for a spark or that block that kind of comes in his uh, block that kind of comes in his 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 uh, comes his way that really gets him going. It'd be yeah. nice to see him not need that moment. And yeah. instead, just like it's always there. Dan, so one was D'Lo, two was Ant, three, who do you have in Mal? Under the wire is uh, uh, Beverly and just his influence, even though we've not seen him now for two and three quarters games in a row um, and we won't see him for another week and a half or so. Um, Patrick Beverly and the, and, and I don't want to, I think people almost give him a little too much credit that like the culture changes because of Beverly. Cause I think other things were in the works. I think our defensive coordinator who I can't even remember his name right now. It's like Elvin. I feel because that dude should be getting talked about more. Right. Um, and so Josh is going to look him up so we can like, get his name on people's lips again. And I can't believe I can't think of it because I was just reading about him earlier today. Um, but between that, the Finch regime change, um, so, you know, Vanderbilt emerging and sort of solidifying a starting lineup and everything. But all that said, Beverly has been here as a major uh force as part of that culture change and so i've got him as number three you have a name josh or you i think you're looking for elston turner elston turner yeah so my man thank you elston. Uh, <laughs> yes. number four dan so going from one to five <laughs> Dilo and beverly who do you have at number four i'm going with vando uh yeah. you know just his emergence into uh you know us worrying that we needed this four and this huge hole in our lineup and us paying him like much less than a starter than an average starter on an NBA roster. And the fact that he's part of a starting five that has by far the highest net rating in the entire NBA. And he is absolutely a positive force when he's out there just making incredible things happen. And Number five, I feel kind of bad putting him back this far because it, you, you're a victim of your own consistent excellence, but cat. Um, but as you often will say about our power rankings, it's not about who is the best player, but kind of who's got the energy, who's got the buzz. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that if we saw cat with the level of offensive production he had, but like what we're seeing out of him in the first quarter was in the fourth quarter. <laughs> I think he might be number one on this list, but it would be nice to one simply have him on the court at the end of the game and two have him be like a commanding force. That's, you know, guiding us to victory instead of like, you know, whatever is happening for him, like emotionally late in games. So, but still in the top five, which on a, the hottest team and not the hottest team, the third hottest team or the fourth hottest team in the NBA is nothing to sneeze at. 
You know, Josh. How, oh yeah. Do you know how Cat feels about being number five on your power rankings? Oh, it's he's picture flailing. Him, picture him sitting under the hoop. Yeah. After what? not getting a foul call. Five. <laughs> so who is my sixth man? I think it has to be Malik Beasley. Uh, yeah. I. You're taking our sixth man and making him the sixth man. This is like a, also a first. Yeah. Yeah, I, that he's gotten his shooting uh, touch back. He didn't get quite enough praise, I think, for scoring 28 points against Philly. And uh, and now he's really starting to fill that role offensively that we were hoping that he would. It, was, it seemed like it was only a matter of time until he was going to uh, start hitting shots at the rate we've expected. But Malik Beasley, as today's, this episode's sixth man in the Timberwolf power rankings. Awesome. Well, we're, we're getting pretty close to bringing this one home. It's a little longer than we usually are, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been, been a while, while and we had a lot, while. we had a lot to cover. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in. If you can think of anyone else who might want to join us for Timberwolf and craft beer talk with an emphasis on Minnesota, please let us know about us for Timberwolves tip to tap. I am Josh Dye. And I'm Dan Hilton, and that will do it for our 18th episode of Tip to Tap. Follow our Twitter on Tip to Tap. You'd spell out the two, the T-O. Talking mostly Timberwolves, General NBA, Craft Beer, and my dog, Murray. Murray. Good girl. Folks, can you believe it? Seven of our last eight and currently in the sixth playoff position. What a great time it is to be a Timberwolves fan. And yet, and yet, I would implore you all to heed the words of D'Angelo Russell. Never too high, never too low. This is not to say don't celebrate, but please, please try to remember that the most recent thing that happened is not the only thing that has ever happened. The wolves will go on a losing streak again this year as nah. much as you want to hear it. No, nah. much as you may not want to hear it. Nah. And that same collection of players that are currently showing grit and resourcefulness may struggle again. Just remember that a three or a five game span or even a quarter of a season does not define a career and should not be the body of evidence on which you base your takes. Be good to each other and enjoy this break of sunlight while you can, because God knows we deserve it. Go Wolves. This team will not have another three-game losing streak if we remain hoping for the rest of the year. Thank you.